So today I wanted to tell you some creation stories because whether we are aware of it or not, they are embedded in the frameworks of how we live, how we carry ourselves, how we feel and sense ourselves in the world. I wanted to tell some creation stories to invite or perhaps tempt each one of us to take a chance at restoring how we think about the way things work, what priorities we set, and to cast our lot in these tumultuous and troubled times with those who age after age perversely with no extraordinary power reconstitute the world. We've heard one story of creation, the instruction story of Sky Woman, told in many forms by native peoples of the Great Lakes area and recounted by Robin Wall Kimmerer in her book, Braiding Sweetgrass. Creation begins with Sky Woman being pushed, or maybe she just fell, to a hole in the sky. She's grabbing just a few branches and seeds from the tree of life before tumbling into the abyss. Creation begins with risk. There is a sense of dangerous opportunity, the possibility of a generative opening, or just as easily a colossal failure, or maybe it's just a little bit of both. We don't know. All we know is that the dark waters ebb and flow below as she falls through that shaft of light, her long black hair dancing up and around her face. She sees only darkness, but the emptiness below is filled with a community of creatures. Many eyes of fish and fowl gaze up in wonder at this maple seed of a thing that is descending. Each creature understands that Sky Woman needs land for her home, that she cannot stay forever balanced on the wings of geese or the back of a turtle. And so they begin to dive into the water to find that mud that they once heard tell of long time ago that is at the bottom of the water. Each and all do their best to bring up some piece of something on which to build a sustainable life, but one after another fails. The only one who manages the task does so at great risk and great cost. The muskrat floats to the surface with a bit of mud clutched in his lifeless paw. The turtle offers her back, and Sky Woman spreads the earth across its shell. So moved by the extraordinary efforts and gifts of the animals, she sings and dances the world into being with thanksgiving and offers the seeds and branches to be planted, turning brown earth to green in the light still shining from that hole in the sky. The Great Lakes people tell us creation begins in wonder. Creation emerges from collaboration. Creation requires risk-taking. 
Creation is generosity and sacrifice and thanksgiving all rolled into one. I read this story and wondered what our world would look like if this was the story of instruction embedded in the frameworks of our society, the story that shaped our consciousness and how we set our priorities. Instead, the story told over and over again in service of progress is the one that comes from our Judeo-Christian ancestors from a library of books we call the Bible. Now, let me make something clear. I am a Bible geek. I love the Bible. I relish looking up Hebrew words and the different shadings of meanings and the extended metaphors of God or the teachings of the wisdom Jesus. But in this case, in the case of the creation story that dominates this American life of progress, politics, and polemics, my heart is moved by what we cannot save. So much has been destroyed. There are more than 20 creation stories in the Bible, my friends, 20. Most Christians in secular culture don't even remember or tell the first creation story. That would be logical. The first creation story that repeats over and over again that creation is good, the relationship between all things, all beings, and God is good, that man and woman are created at the same time in the image of God. That would be a logical choice the first one, but the first one doesn't serve the purpose of framing religious and cultural norms of dominance and separation. It is the second creation story that served the purpose of fourth century Christians as they argued about whether or not Jesus was indeed God and therefore capable of saving humanity from original sin it is a second creation story that serves our national mythology, haunts our psyches, and allows us to ignore the cries of people and places, of animals, fish and fowl, air and water. The creation story we all know, or at least think we know, is a story of Adam and Eve. God forms first man from the red dust of the earth before any plant or herb sprung from the ground. God blew, Adam's, God blew into Adam's nostrils and gave him life. God creates a garden in Eden. It's full of trees and all manner of living things with the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil at its center. All living things were man's to use and care for except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam is told, the moment you eat from that tree, you're dead. God realizes it's not good for man to be alone and so creates all the animals and Adam names them one by one, the cattle, the birds of the air, and every animal of the field. Still, man is wanting of a helper, 
a partner in creation. So God puts Adam to sleep, takes a rib from his chest, and forms the first woman, bone of bone and flesh of flesh. All was well and good until the snake, that crafty creature who entices woman to eat from the forbidden tree. You won't die, says the snake. God knows the moment you eat from the tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging all the way from good to evil. Now, when the woman saw that the tree looked like good eating and realized that she would what she would get out of it. She'd know everything. She took and ate the fruit and then gave some to her husband, and he ate. Four things happened with those fateful bites. Their eyes are opened. They see the world through their own eyes, which isn't all bad. They understand themselves as naked, a way of shame-free living is lost. Adam and Eve try to cover up the shame they feel, and they try to hide from God. Of course, God finds them and finds out what they've done. God is God, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> so man, woman, and snake are judged and sentenced. The snake is cursed, among all animals and wild creatures, hated by women and made to slink on its belly and eat dirt. The woman is sentenced with pain in childbearing and to be ruled by her husband. The man is told, because of you, the very ground is cursed. Getting food from the ground will be as painful as having babies is for your wife, and you will be working in pain all your life long. Now, God isn't so bad. He makes them some clothes before he realizes, oh, wait a minute. The man has become like one of us, capable of knowing everything, ranging from good to evil. What if he should reach out and take fruit from the tree of life and eat? Well, he would be, he would be like us. He would live forever. That can't happen. So God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden. They live as exiles, never quite belonging anywhere, punished with hard labor and now death as their new normal. In one analysis found in the New Interpreter's Bible, they ask, what is the effects of this sentencing? Hmm. Here it is. Every conceivable relationship has been disrupted. Among the animals, between an animal and humans, between the ground and humans, between human being and God, between an animal and God with the individual self, i.e. shame. More abstractly, one could speak of humiliation, domination, and subordination, conflict, suffering, and struggle. The sentences touch every aspect of human life. Disharmony reigns supreme. End quote. Christian Protestants who came to this part of the world 
as part of European economic expansion carry this story. Creation begins in benevolence, but there are stipulations. Step over the line and you will suffer severe consequences. Domination and subordination is the operating system of life. God over man, man over woman, and woman over snake. <laughs> Humanity does not collaborate with nature or even quite belong to it. We are aliens, exiles. Creation is stingy and hardship is our lot. Now some of my seminary friends or people well versed in the Bible are probably cringing right now. There is no nuance in this telling, no contextualization, no counterbalance of the first creation story in the Bible to mitigate the harsh character of the second. The two creation stories were meant to be read and understood together. They are placed side by side for that very purpose. But it is the second creation story that has been embedded and used as source material for our societal structures. Structures of racism, ecological decimation, and our world orientation. And that's why I tell it this way today. Robin Kimmerer says it this way. Like creation stories everywhere, cosmologies are a source of identity and orientation to the world. They tell us who we are. We are inevitably shaped by them, no matter how distant they may be from our consciousness. One story leads to the generous embrace of the living world, the other to banishment. One woman is our ancestral gardener, a co-creator of the good green world. The other was an exile, just passing through an alien world on a rough road to her real home in heaven. And then they met, she writes, the offspring of Sky Woman and the children of Eve. And the land around us bears the scars of that meeting. I couldn't help but think of this telling of the second creation story from the Bible as I watched another creation story on the history theater stage of St. Paul. Last weekend, I was privileged to see the Highwaymen. It is about the creation of Highway 94. During the height of the federal interstate building initiative beginning in 1956, over a million people were displaced from their homes across the country, the majority of whom were people of color. St. Paul is one of those cities where a thriving, self-sustaining African-American community called Rondo was decimated by the construction of the highway, cutting the neighborhood in half and destroying the main business artery of Rondo Avenue. People's homes were shot up and damaged so that city assessors would value those homes at reduced prices, making it cheaper 
for the city to buy out black families. The community of Rondo was virtually excluded from the decision-making process. Several alternatives were offered by the community and a retired city planner who urged the committee to build north of university so the highway would not destroy Rondo and would not split the capital from the heart of downtown St. Paul. Have you ever noticed that? Almost everything they suggested was ignored. But have you noticed how the highway is sunk into the earth as you travel closer to downtown St. Paul? Have you noticed the three or four footbridges that cross the highway between Hamlin and Marion? These are the concessions Pastor Massey and his community were able to squeeze out of the planning committee in order to save some shred of cohesion and connection for people of Rondo. This economic engine and cultural oasis that was Rondo was done in by urban renewal and the building of the highway. This is not a story of collaboration. This is not a story of mutual risk-taking, mutual sacrifice and generosity. This is the story of banishment that we drive every day. This is a cultural religious cosmology embedded in our land and our lives of domination and subordination. There's a top-down ordering to things, and if you're on the bottom, well, so be it. Creation is stingy. The ground is cursed, and hardship is our lot. Get used to it. In the liner notes, African-American playwright Josh Wilder writes, history is more than just a celebration of what's great, but an examination of what's tough to hear. We are in a time in this country where the tough conversations are beginning to happen. I hope you can show up and be a part of it, he writes. Yes, indeed. We are in a time in this country where tough conversations are beginning to happen. We may sense a time of dangerous opportunity as we feel like we're falling from the sky, wondering what we will find below. I, for one, would not know what to do with myself if I didn't have a faith community that consistently and publicly reminds me to go deep, to grow my soul and to take my place in reconstituting the world. This is a time of risk-taking and opportunities for a new story to emerge. And here is where that creation story from Genesis gets personal. There is no way to live into our racial justice journey, to engage in the tough conversations of our times and the real work of transforming the world without bumbling around, without making some really big mistakes, without diving into the deep and still coming up empty. But when mistakes happen, when, clum when my clumsiness gets the best of me, 
when I'm sitting in the heat of justified pushback at my privilege and whiteness, I have to resist the creation story of my Protestant upbringing and how I've internalized it. I have to resist the notion that creation is benevolent unless you make a mistake and then the consequences are severe. That banishment is a justifiable sentence. The creation story that tells me submission is my lot as a woman, that I am not worthy of connection or belonging. The story that tells me creation is stingy and hardship is life, so get used to it. This creation story keeps me so tangled up in the middle of the night. This creation story makes me withdraw and withhold rather than lean forward. And when I'm in the thick of it, I don't even know that I'm telling myself that creation story, but I am. When I take myself out back to my shame shack that I've got <laughs> out behind my house and start in on my punishment, it actually feels right. It feels right, like I'm doing the right thing. Banishment and exile feel right. That's how deeply embedded this story is in my psyche. That's how risky it is to stand here today before you and say, I want to tell a new story and I'm not telling this one to myself anymore. I want us to begin a new creation story as a setting for our compass as we navigate our way forward, a story that encourages us to ask, is this creation process collaborative? Does it ask us to go deep? Is there a sense of mutuality and love in our risk-taking and sacrifice? Does this endeavor feel generous? Does it make you want to dance in gratitude and thanksgiving? Those are the questions we need to be asking. In a beautiful challenge offered last Tuesday night as we gathered in this sanctuary for a service about moving with the heavy heart. Board member and member of our people of color group, Richard Spratt, asked this. Will you, my white brothers and sisters, with love, be bold and brave enough to face your own complicity in the history of race, racism, and oppression? The movement needs you now, more than ever. Can you heed the call of our faith to transform the world? Will you join me on this journey? The road can be rocky and rough, and we don't want to stumble or fall, but when we do, if we stay connected to one another, we can get up and move forward to higher ground. 
As people of faith, let us live into a new story and answer yes, yes, yes to generosity and thanksgiving. Yes to a new creation story and a dancing within our hearts. May it be so and amen.